Hi, everyone. This is David Cohen, and I'm here with my amazing co-host, Brad Feld. Hey, Brad. And this is the Give First podcast. And in the startup world, Give First means simply trying to help anyone, especially entrepreneurs, without any expectation of getting anything back. So we'll be talking to mentors and founders about what Give First looks like in action and how it makes great entrepreneurship possible. We polled everyone and they said consistently that their favorite part of the show was the legal mumbo jumbo. So here it is. The following discussion is an expression of personal opinion and does not represent the opinion of Techstars or any company we discuss. Our conversations for informational purposes only, including any mention of securities or funds. This is not legal business investment or tax advice and is not intended for use by any investor. Certain of Techstars funds own or may own in the future securities and some of the companies discussed in this podcast. Got it? Welcome. Today on the Give First podcast, we have Bruno Morenci, who is the managing director of the Techstars Montreal AI Accelerator. Bruno? Hi, Brad. It's a pleasure to join you today. Delighted to have you here. Let's just start off with a brief intro. Talk about how you got involved in startups and entrepreneurship. Actually, nothing in in my personal life up until university (laughs) would direct me to entrepreneurship. It's not that there's no entrepreneurs in in my family, really. I got into engineering at McGill. Uh, There's two things that happened that got me into entrepreneurship. I was organizing the Canadian Congress of Engineering Students, which basically brought me to raise capital from sponsors for that and selling the event and having this small committee was like, this is fun. I can run my own business. This was a first taste. That was great. And then the faculty management and engineering got together to do a minor in technological entrepreneurship. And I was part of the first cohort going through it. So it was like a minor in management, but focused on engineering with a timeline around business plans at the end. So that really gave me the, yeah, this is going to be fun. Let's do this. And started my first company right out of school. Talk about that first company. What was it and what did it do? <laughs> it was, I mean, that, I graduated in May 2001. So not a good time to start an internet company. <laughs> you started, boom, everything blew up. <laughs> exactly. So, uh, of course, I mean, students usually do things that, that matter to students. So I was doing a system for our career centers to, to better help do placement for uh, students and companies. And people had bought a lot of tech in the last few years and now had no budget to buy new things. And we're both basically looking for people to integrate what they had bought. So repurposed what we're doing as a document management system, web-based, which at that time was ASP application service providers. <laughs> so sold a few licenses, uh, which, but eventually which, which got Which ASPs bought. did you work with? Do you remember that at all? At the time, actually, whenever we got a client, we went on eBay, bought a Dell 1U rack and put that in a co-location service somewhere in Montreal. iWeb was the one we used. iWeb. Yeah. So I was a founder of a company that ultimately failed called Interliant. That was one of the three primary ASPs, Digix, US Internetworking, and Interliant. Those may be names from the past Yeah. for people here that are uh, old enough. But you put your server on a rack and off you went. How, <laughs> where did that business go? I was 22 years old, did way too many mistakes. I'm a stubborn person. I was not very coachable. So did a lot of things my way, which I thought was the right way and learned through experience. At the pre-dot-com boss, there was two big IT companies in Montreal, CGI and Case. And CGI took over Case, And I met the founder of Case a few months after that. Told him about what I was, I was doing and says, sure, I mean, I'm starting a new company. Let me buy your little startup and bring that code with me and come work with me. 
That's how it ended up. Great. And what was that company? Uh, a company called Isaacsoft. So the company didn't do that well afterwards. <laughs> that was a, my first exit was all stuck and I didn't get much from that stuck. <laughs> Lesson learned, but the experience was pretty nice. Talk some about sort of the path from that. So Montreal, early 2000s, dot-com bubble, mm. burst, entrepreneurship was a super trendy thing when you got out of school. Now all of a sudden everybody's going, what? Yeah. What was it like in 2003, 4, 5, 6, 7, that time frame in terms of what you were doing? Yeah, there wasn't that much of an ecosystem uh, for entrepreneurship. Doing a tech startup was something that needed a lot of explanation and raised a lot of question marks in people's mind when you were asking what you were doing, that I'm an entrepreneur, I do a tech business. It's why. The incubators in Montreal that we had were, were mostly funded by government, but were really early stage incubators helping at very administrative tasks. So nothing like what Techstars as an Axler does today. And things really started to form more around 2006, seven, where you had some startup camps, some events that started to happen. And that's where we saw the first few signs of an ecosystem, or at least tech people getting together and creating some sort of community. Those early community discussions, did they have any sort of fabric to them or were they just people showing up and doing stuff? I think it was mostly people happy to find other people that liked doing startups, like-minded people. So it was discovering, okay, I'm not the only one that enjoys coding on something and meeting or and trying to create a company. So there was a lot of collaboration about how can we help each other, like genuine curiosity about what the others are doing and how can we fund these companies. We, there was a first fund called Montreal Startup, which was a small 3 million fund that got started around that same time. Yeah, I think it was genuine desire to collaborate and meet with other people that liked the same things you did. I think the first time I was in Montreal around startup stuff was around 2010 or so. I remember coming to an event, I think it was, it was like called MTL something. And it was a maybe first or second year they were doing it I went with Howard Lindzen. And we had like a big event one night and some talks. And then the next morning there was a pitch competition. From that, I do remember developing some relationships. My book, Startup Communities, came out in 2012. Yep. Tell me what, in that time period, what was going on in your world, sort of as the Montreal startup community was starting to form. That's the time where between the two companies that joined other companies as early employee or early co-founder at some companies. And these companies weren't necessarily taken off. So a, a bit of frustration of working a lot and not seeing results and got to a point where, okay, either I go get a job that's well-paid in a larger company, or, or I go back as a founder myself, start something on my own rather than joining an early stage and do it for real. So I ended up doing the second option uh, and started my company. Initially, it was, again, on the document management issue, we were trying to build something that would track email attachments. That was before Google Docs, before Dropbox even. And that eventually became Context.io. But that startup started at a point where there was a lot more entrepreneurs and the ecosystem, like Montreal Startup, the investment fund became Real Ventures. We were the, the second check that Real Ventures did. I think that event you mentioned was Accelerate Montreal. Uh, it was. That's right. There you so go. Montreal. Yep. What I remember, I'm a vegetarian, although I eat fish. And I remember eating, you know, they, they like asked you what you wanted for each thing because it was a preset thing. And I don't remember any of it. And I remember they put this plate in front of me and I gobbled down this plate. Of food. <laughs> and I thought it was 
the best, most amazing salmon tartare that I'd ever had. Like, you know, I thought it was just like a, a raw salmon dish thing. And Howard Lindzen was sitting next to me and he's just laughing at me and he knows I'm, I don't eat meat. He just sort of is laughing at me. And at some point after snarfing down this food in 30 seconds, he says, you realize that was steak tartare. <laughs> and I said to him, you guys be kidding me. And what happened was they gave me that instead of the salad I had told mm. them. Well, just a mistake, right? And it was a long night for this vegetarian, like oh boy. dealing with processing the steak tartare. But it was the best salmon tartare I've ever had in my life. <laughs> but it was Accelerate Montreal. That's right. Yeah, so that was a great event. Like Chris Arsenault, uh, I know of the Capital, was one of the people pushing that. I actually won one of that competition, which led me to 48 hours in the valley with the C100. So got to spend more time making connections in the Bay Area. It was a really good start. Startup Fest got started around the same time. So there, there was a lot more energy and you could see the government institutions starting to notice and say, okay, maybe, maybe we should fund these VC funds. Maybe we should get involved in this rather than trying to do our, our own things. This is where our worlds collide, I think, for the first time, right? What happened with Context.io? Context.io, uh, we raised from when we did the pivot and we pitched the idea of not attachment tracking system, but the whole infrastructure we built. We actually got more inbound interest for, for how the hell did you guys build this thing? That's how people were interested in too. I, I want to connect to the email account of my users as well, because I, would, I could stop asking them to BCC all those emails. And say, well, we built all this API and it, can I get access to it? Well, not now, but why not? So we pitched the idea of that API to Real Ventures. That's what got them to fund, rename the company to Context.io. And then 12 months later, there's a guy in Austin, Josh Bear, that had just sold this company to Return Path, which I knew from email events in, in Box Love and other things. It's, I want an API and I want to buy Context.io. I want Return Path to buy this. And it took about six months and that's what happened. That's great. And I knew Josh prior to that, and I was on the Return Path board. Yeah, So exactly. I remember when that was starting to come around, I've been a long believer in email-based businesses. And I do remember there was some real magic in what y'all had done with Context.io. I mean, so much learning. I mean, Twilio was starting at the same time. So the notion of building a company that is essentially an API was getting started. And a lot of the marketing was based on hackathons and working with developers. And it wasn't only the tech, but it was the type of company that we were building was quite new as well. So all the playbook about how do you build a developer business was being written. I mean, Twilio, obviously, and SendGrid didn't <laughs> scale. That is like many orders of magnitudes bigger than what I did at Context.io, but still. When you think about some of the really influential people on you during that yeah. period of time, any mentors stand out? Anybody that was so foundational in how you, you know, you described yourself as stubborn, you weren't coachable, but that sort of there was a shift at some point in terms yep. of your own behavior. Yeah, I, I think through failing a couple of times, you start to realize that maybe you don't have all the answers and you start listening more to people and you start to incorporate feedback. I think the best entrepreneurs are somewhere between completely stubborn or listening to feedback as directive. You have to challenge your own thinking with other people's feedback and you got to challenge other people's feedback with your own thinking and basically use both to, to find the solution for yourself and the answer. And I think some people, Chris Arsenault, I know of you, I met him very early. I was doing the minor in technological entrepreneurship with Miguel, met him through there. So he's always been a mentor that I keep in touch with. 
I think Phil Tellio, who started Startup Fest, was involved through his previous company as a mentor for, for Context.io as well. He was uh, instrumental as well. I would add Ian Ray and Alistair Kroll, who they, <laughs> we had the first co-working location created organically. So a friend of mine, I told him I'm looking for an office. He says, oh, call Ian. He's got way more space than he can use. He'll, he'll find you a place. So we ended up being a bunch of startups in the downtown location that was just not well maintained, but we had a for short price for that. And once we were kicked out of that space, we all moved together to another space further from downtown, but we really enjoyed the co-location. And then Ian started Year One Labs, which did a few companies from there. So these people had a lot of influence over the for those few years. Tell me what you're doing today at Techstars. I've Joined Techstars when the, the Montreal program became something between Techstars and Real Ventures. So we're getting prepared for the uh, fourth cohort now. So time flies. I think it's the longest time I've been in a single organization. But the, the managing director role is the first time that I'm not the entrepreneur myself. I'm the, on the other side. But I think it's having seen as an, an ERR at Inovia, having seen how it works inside a VC firm, I think it's the perfect middle ground because you, you get to be a VC or part of the year when you're sourcing companies and finding the 10 companies to make the class. And then once the selection is done, I mean, you don't, sure, 10 deals is a lot, but they all happen in the same month. And then you get to spend the rest of the year working very closely with these 10 teams. And that's, that's really fun. Any standouts from the previous three years that you want to highlight? I like all of them. <laughs> I mean, there's some companies that are doing really well on their own. There is a few standouts in terms of capital raised. I think that the obvious standout in capital raised is uh, GreenEye from the 2018 program. They raised around the week program ended, which was the XMD from the Boston program. Uh, Simeon, that was the first deal he did in the Techstars company after leaving Boston was in the Montreal AI program. So I was proud of that. And then they raised another $5 million about a year later, just raised more now. So in terms of capital, that's the obvious standout. Uh, last year, the 2019 program, Real Data just raised $2.5 million. Another company called Eli Health raised $1.5 about three months ago. We had an early exit from a, a company from Romania that got bought by Agolia over the holiday season. So again, great exit on their part. It's surprising how fast it happened. I was not expecting that to happen before four or five years. Now that you're into it, about to start year four, what are some things in 2021, if you could time travel back you know, to 2018, you would tell yourself to do differently around engaging mentors with the entrepreneurs? I mean, there, there's so many things about the managing director role that puts your imposter syndrome on overdrive. <laughs> like You get to work with pretty amazing people and, and both the other MDs and the mentors involved in the program. And I think one of the key things is come back and tell myself like your job, and that's what my dad told me and I would reinforce that. Your job is not to be the super mentor. Your job is not to know the answer. Your job is not to somehow tell or know what they should do. Your job is to figure out who they should talk to to, to find that out. And that notion of this role as a Techstars MD being the person that leads them in the correct direction to figure out more rather than be the person who should know the answer is interesting. That's, I think, how I, I've been able to, to grow is less see myself as answering the questions, but helping them either connect with the person or ask the right questions to their own customers so that they really figure out the answer for their, on their own. 
What's different in 2021 about Montreal than in 2001, 20 years later, ah, around entrepreneurship? The one thing I would say is when I started pitching Context.io to people in the U.S. for funding, I always was challenged as to why was I doing this in Montreal? And everybody wanted me to move out and I, I didn't want to. But Montreal was not known as a place where you should uh, establish a company to grow fast. And now when I do sourcing for Techstars uh, and I ask people, say, why do you want to do Techstars in Montreal? And then the, you see people from outside and want to come here to do their company. And you see some great companies built here that are raising massive rounds from American investors, not moving the headquarters. Some companies raising from Canadian investors are just going straight IPO. So I think this is the major change. So 10 years ago, people were challenging, why are you starting a company there? And now it's just great. Yeah, <laughs> let's do it. Let's finish up and shift to some quick rapid fire questions. So I'm going to ask you a couple of quick questions and I just want 30, 60 second answer. Okay. Other than Montreal, what's your favorite city in the world? I really liked London. I visited once. I'm French. And you think that we have more cultural ties to France. I felt that the British culture was actually closer to the one we had. Really, really enjoyed my time in London. I love London too. I lived there for a summer when I was in high school. And when you're someplace for a while, especially formatively, like you can really embrace it. How about a book that you've read in the last year or two that really made an impression on you that you think other people should read? The most recent one was Sell More Faster by my, my colleague in Austin, which was really nice, but it's my typical business book. I think one I really enjoyed is Why We Sleep, which read that one. Great book. Yeah. Amos's book, Somewhere Faster, is good. And his new book, Levers, is also very good. I, I have it on my desk. Haven't opened it yet. <laughs> but, uh, Why We Sleep, I thought, was excellent. Especially as I get older, totally fascinated with sleep. Oh, yeah. There's so much about startup that's about hustle and not sleeping. And reading this is okay. Like now you have an actual scientific and reason to tell people I changed the actual deck of orientation week at startup and added a slide that said sleep. And then I want every single one of you to get as much sleep as possible. Sleep has been proven that this is how knowledge goes from the short-term memory to the long-term memory. This is how after a day of meeting 10 mentors, all that information, if you don't have a good night of sleep, will vanish the next morning. So do it. <laughs> and it's counter to what founders read in the media, what founders read on Twitter about work, 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 and, and sleep is part of it. You have to get good night of sleep. Otherwise, you lose. Well said. I like that line. Maybe they'll put that one in the tagline for the, <laughs> for the podcast. If you don't get a good night of sleep, you lose. I, I buy into that. If you could be reincarnated as any insect, an insect. what insect would you choose? Uh, I would have said a cat. They seem to have a pretty nice life, but uh, cats are not insects. I don't know. That's a tough question. I would say, I don't want to say a fly. I mean, that was, I mean, mosquitoes are just too much of an annoyance. <laughs> a spider is too easy to kill. To kill. Uh, maybe, maybe, I, I would, maybe a fly. I mean, just flying fly. around seems interesting. Uh, you, 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 don't, you don't sting, so it's okay. I would say, yeah, a bee or, or a bee or a fly. We'll go with that. Last question. If you could have dinner with anyone, dead or alive, who would you choose? You know, that, that was one of the questions when I got in the MD interview. And, and I think the, the obvious answers of Steve Jobs and Elon Musk are interesting. But I think leading an AI program, 
and I fundamentally believe that so many industries will be changed and they will be like before we had intelligent machines and after. So I probably tried to have a conversation with someone who brought and commercialized it as such a fundamental shift in the way we work and live. It might be steam engine, it might be electricity. Like you can definitely see like the way people worked, the amount of people you need to build something was cut drastically when steam engine became a thing. Same thing for electricity. AI is going to do the same thing. The, the things we do manually or the number of people we need to do something manually will ch drastically change. So how do you go through such a transition, not just build a company from it, but how do you work in a society so that this transition is for the best of all? Well, Bruno, thank you for spending time today with me and with anyone listening. On Give it's been First. a pleasure. Getting to know you a little bit better and thanks for everything you do for Montreal in the startup community. And thanks for everything you do for Techstars. Well, thanks for having me, Brad. That was really nice. Thanks a lot for listening to the show today. We'd love to hear your feedback, ideas, or who you'd like to hear next on Give First. And please leave a rating and review, ideally a good one, and reach out anytime to podcasts at techstars.com or on Twitter, I'm at David Cohen. See you next time. Don't forget, Give First. <laughs>